0: Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and today we are heading to a sun-soaked slice of heaven, the place I chose as my all-time favourite destination when I answered my own travel diaries here on the podcast, the golden state. It is, of course, California. I have been so excited to work on this episode for you, bringing to life a destination that's so close to my heart, so close in fact that I even got married on one of its many golden sand beaches. The reason I love California so much is that it's a paradise of possibilities, a promise of endless adventure that really caters to every traveller. From the dramatic coastlines of Big Sur where the waves dance with the rugged cliffs, to the sun-kissed beaches of Santa Monica and the iconic Santa Cruz boardwalk, this is a state that offers a buffet of coastal delights. Speaking of buffets, don't even get me started on the food. California is a culinary playground where flavors from all around the world collide. From cool food truck gems in Los Angeles to Michelin-starred eateries in San Francisco, your taste buds will embark on a journey of their own, not forgetting that it's home to some of the most famous and beautiful wine country in the world, too. And how about the great outdoors? California is a nature lover's dream come true. Yosemite National Park, with its colossal granite cliffs and lush forests, will make you feel like you've stepped into a postcard. There's a historic redwood forest up in Northern California. And for the adrenaline junkies, there's Lake Tahoe offering year round thrills from skiing in the winter to kayaking in the summer. Whether you're chasing dreams in LA, hiking in the Sierra Nevada, or sipping on Cabernet in wine country, California is a place where every moment feels like a movie scene and you are the star. And speaking of stars, today we are joined by a star-studded lineup of some of my favorite guests across the last 10 seasons who've chosen California as part of their travel diaries. They'll be taking us on the ultimate California road trip, a trip of a lifetime you can do in two or three weeks that everyone should be adding to their bucket list. And then later, we're joined by the Michelin star chef and California native, Nancy Silverton. So before we set off, for avid listeners, you might remember that on my 100th episode, my husband Alex interviewed me about my travel diaries, and of course, as I mentioned, I spoke about California. So let's start with my take on why California is an all-time fave. A trip to California can include a desert experience in Joshua Tree or in Palm Springs, Yeah, so full of history and heritage, then, you know... Big Sur, the big mountains, the dramatic cliff drops, looking out to the Pacific and then moving up along Highway 1. I mean, my point being, it's such a diverse state. And then you land in L.A. and it's like, that is Hollywood, you know, the glamour, the excitement the palm trees lining the streets. I, I adore Santa Monica and, and Venice walking along the Venice canals. The fact that there are canals running through right by the beach there with the little bridges that go over there. It's them. my favorite spot
1: in LA is Santa Monica and the Venice canals. Yeah. Just, that's got such an energy to it,
0: it's even so, more it's so, so than great. the rest of it. And but listen, I don't want to just stick on LA. No, no, so
2: let's, I was going to ask you. Yeah, um,
0: going on to Santa Barbara. Um, montecito
3: yes yeah yeah i
0: mean that is another place that is an all-time favorite and uh, i mean california we're, we still haven't gone up to you know san francisco wine country and beyond so the, nat-
4: the national parks oh,
0: uh, of course and the national parks which i was going to also mention so i mean i think that i could have my next 10 to 15 holidays in california alone Oh, well, I wax lyrical about Los Angeles in that. So let's start the road trip there. So much to do and see in the City of Angels. It is a sprawling city. It's made up of many districts like Beverly Hills, downtown Culver City. And no trip to LA is complete without a trip to Hollywood itself. The Sunset Strip, Griffith Park, the Hollywood sign, the Walk of Fame. And if you want to live the life of a star whilst you're there, here is a really snazzy hotel recommendation from model and actress Poppy Delevingne in the area. Well, there is a hotel that I sort of think of that always
5: um, that always really reminds me of, like, sort of home. Mm-hmm. Um, but only because I've spent so much time. It's in LA. It's called the Chateau Marmont. I'm sure all of your listeners have heard of it a million times. They've been there a million times. But it's just one of these places that... When I have to go to LA for work and I feel like just feeling like I'm I don't know, it's, it's just homely for me and you what know, I know about everyone it? that is works. It you there. Everyone. Yeah. I think I feel like I know everyone that works there. Um, I know that area, I know that part of Hollywood really well. Which part um, of Hollywood is it in? Well, so it's kind of you know, it's just off uh, sunset and right. the sunset strip. And I feel like I've just known that area for a really long time and I love Andre. Balaz who owns it and he's a really dear friend and yeah when I just go there it's like I just feel like I'm coming home Mm. and that for me I don't know I always
0: think that's a very good sign of a very good hotel. No trip to LA is complete without going to the beach and the most iconic is down in Santa Monica. The famous pier is where Route 66 ends and the area is just full of amazing restaurants, bars and hotels. Neighboring Venice Beach, Venice Canals has its own gems. I'd really recommend a lazy afternoon wandering the Venice Canals. Definitely worth spending a night or two in this area. And with that in mind, let's hear from newsreader Sir Trevor
4: MacDonald who
0: shares his love for the area and a great hotel recommendation that I can fully endorse
4: when i wasn't working i discovered a place outside los angeles santa monica
3: mm-hmm. and
4: i discovered a a hotel there which gave onto the beach and where all the all the sort of vague idiosyncrasies of american life you know you would see people running around with little dogs on the beach and you know women on bicycles towing the dogs behind and and the beach was lovely and there was muscle beach where people, and this, this hotel shutters on the beach was just absolutely ideal. And, and you could go down to the end of the beach and there was an Italian restaurant there where you went in and nobody asked about what you wanted for dinner or for that, you know, they just, they, they, put some bread on the table and put two bottles of wine on the table and, and then Perfect. and then they would distribute song sheets and people would start singing when the moon hits the star or whatever the song was you know that's and i th- i thought it was all wonderful and i loved the quiet of santa monica away from the noise and bustle of los angeles i i loved it and i had a uh I always got a suite which overlooked the car park and people said to me, But it overlooks the car park. I said no, but it's just lovely. And I can walk down the uh, the restaurant was lovely and it
0: embodies California yeah. lifestyle yeah. so I well, it. doesn't I, it? Yeah, I you it. could see the Santa Monica Pier with the the Ferris wheel oh, I, and I the palms. just thought, that's right,
4: the Ferris wheel was out there. Yes, yeah. yes on, on the right as I looked out. Um yeah, I I love Santa Monica. It was the quieter I think, more sort of dignified bit of America. Yeah, yeah.
0: From LA, you could decide to head inland towards Palm Springs or Joshua Tree, two amazing options, which I'll be chatting about in depth on a special bonus episode coming up on Friday. Then we stick to the coast and hit the iconic Route 1, the Pacific Coast Highway that winds itself up from LA all the way to San Francisco and beyond. Driving from LA, your first stops are Malibu, Ojai, which you'll hear about later in the episode, and Santa Barbara, which I adore. It is such a fun Fun little city with so much to do, you have to go for a day. And if you can, you want to splash out. Stay at the Rosewood; you won't regret it. As you continue north from there, the next stop is San Luis Obispo, which is renowned for its wine, but also was where Ed Gamble had one of his most unforgettable stays. So let's hear from him now.
1: Went on honeymoon in uh, in May congratulations uh, thank you very much to uh california and had an incredible trip um and just drove around and that was fantastic
0: oh what was what was your itinerary because that was also my honeymoon
1: oh okay great so itinerary fly into la couple of days in la uh drive to palm springs few days in palm springs lovely
0: where did you stay
1: at the ace hotel in palm springs which was lovely and then drove from San Francisco back down to LA, but stopping in Big Sur and stopping awesome. in, stopping in the wildest hotel I've ever stopped in in my life. Mad. Uh, the Madonna oh, can, can inn. can I guess?
0: I was yeah. I was, guess, guess, sorry, was sorry, it sorry, the Madonna sorry. Inn? Yeah. yeah. The
1: Madonna Inn in San Luis Obispo, um, which was just crazy. I mean, my wife was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to go there. I was like, I don't know what this place is. And then we checked in and I was like, I see where you want to go here. This okay. Is exactly so tell us aesthetic.
0: about it. I haven't been, I but I've read about it
1: it is it's a crazy place, I think there's like two hundred and fifty rooms. It's this massive motel essentially just off the just off the freeway and it's every single room is themed in some way and uh and our room was called tall and Shorts because it was originally designed for a tall person and a short person. That wasn't evidenced <laughs> in the room. It's just like mad pink carpets and right. we were there for one night, which is what I would recommend the restaurant is just this pink and gold monstrosity but it's kitsch is the way to sum it up it's like kitsch yeah, super it's kitsch. super kitsch and we we had an amazing time we arrived we we're a bit early uh so we couldn't check in so we went to the bar which is another fantastic kitsch masterpiece and had i'd say you know three drinks but in in the states they free pour so we were absolutely blasted and then went to the <laughs> boutique and ended up buying loads of clothes um so that <laughs> night I w- yeah or well I was wearing a cowboy shirt with big skulls on it that had like <laughs> sort of diamante eyes or something and my wife bought um a like caftan dress that matched the carpet in the restaurant
0: amazing I mean <laughs> we had we carpet. had an
1: incredible time the the clientele is great because it's a mix of people who clearly go there all the time so couples in their 60s 70s 80s who are like up there dancing on the dance floor and you know clearly go there you know once a year or whatever and then hipster couples who are like this is so ironic yeah like a lot a lot of that going on but it was it was an absolute it was an absolute ball and we ended up yeah so that was we went stay in santa barbara for a night after that and then back to la for a couple of nights and then we were home but yeah an amazing three-week trip
0: Ah, uh, so sounds so wonderful. In fact, on the, um, the Pacific Highway one, if you're doing that road trip, San Luis Obispo, I think, is a bit of a hidden gem that people sometimes drive through, and it's actually yes. a really cool place to um, to stop. There's some cool restaurants, and there's a cool vibe there.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'd like to go back and and not well, not necessarily to there, but just do that drive again and take longer over it because I think we I think we still did it in like three or four days and stayed in Big Sur for a couple of nights uh, that was and that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to do it from from Oregon and do the the whole thing and that's the whole holiday.
0: Once you leave San Luis Obispo, some blitz through to Big Sur, but author and journalist John Ronson talks about his own love for Route 1 and in there he gives some great recommendations for what to do in that stretch in between.
6: I really love, I really love Highway 1. It's basically the coastal road that takes you, well, we started in Napa Valley and ended up in Los Angeles. It's the mm-hmm. coastal road that goes down the Pacific, it's, it's called the Pacific Coast Highway. And yeah. it takes you through Big Sur, Monterey, Santa Barbara, where the Hearst Castle, you know, San Simeon, where William Randolph Hurst lived. Mm-hmm. There's beaches filled with um, sort of things that look like sea lions yeah. Uh, that would probably be my favourite place in the world as well as my hidden gem. I, really? Yeah, Highway 1. So on the as, you, as you're driving down, on the right you've got the Pacific Ocean and on the left you've got these mountains that look surprisingly like the Scottish Highlands. Like like people have said to me, we want to go on a road trip in America, where would you recommend? And I, and I always say the Pacific Coast Highway.
0: And what's your favourite stop?
6: There's a beach i just before the pandemic hit I was there actually on my own doing a bit of work and I stopped to look at the uh to look at the seals on this beach.
0: If it's the same seals that I remember um is that just before Big Sur where they all kind of bask on that stretch a lot of people drive past yes, it and, and it's and they're like 10 deep yeah in a in a line and, and they they look kind of like they're dead but they're not they're just kind of sleeping there
6: yeah my, my only hesitancy is you said just before but it's just before if you're driving up the coast from. oh
0: the... yeah sorry I went the other way to you yeah yeah
6: yeah yeah I think we're. To, I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same place
0: yeah, they're it's amazing so- aren't they I mean amazing yeah. wildlife to get to interact with
6: Oh, my God, it's incredible. And it hasn't been, you know, the Pacific Coast Highway is is one of the most beautiful stretches of landscape in the world. And yet it it hasn't been built up. So I love that. And I love the destination too. I love Los Angeles. I thought it's so magical. I, I actually would put LA as one of my most magical places in the world. But when you fly to LA, it's like another planet. You know, the colours, the desert, the, the architecture. Um yeah. I kind of love LA as a a holiday destination.
0: Such an epic stretch of road. You pop out the other side first at Monterey and Carmel-by-the-Sea and then Santa Cruz, all worthy of a trip in their own right, in fact. And from there, you hug the coast through Half Moon Bay all the way to San Francisco. All in all, it's an eight or nine hour drive, but it is so worth taking your time and making those stops to take in the... Absolute plethora of beautiful viewpoints and variety of sights that you see on this stretch right San Francisco let's get stuck in a city that has so much to offer I recommend you plan ahead and stay in the right areas if you choose the right place it's spectacular I would avoid staying in the Union Square area it's very busy find one of the many boutique hotels the city has to offer we stayed in Embarcadero which is walking distance to Chinatown and all the piers including Fisherman's Wharf the city has some amazing parks and I think a must do is renting a bike and cycling over to Sausalito you go oh over the iconic Golden Gate Bridge and then get the ferry back to take in the bay and see Alcatraz and the skyline of the city. I think San Francisco feels very European compared to most US cities and it's jam-packed with culture. There are so many experiences and museums to take in but here is Brian Chesky the founder and CEO of Airbnb who lives in San Francisco with one idea that's slightly out of left field
2: when I'm trying to think when people visit me in San Francisco, where do I take them? Mm -hmm. I take a lot of people to the Walt Disney family museum. I'm not recommending everyone go to it, but I have a deep interest in Walt Disney because I thought he was a creative leader. Um, I want to identify as one as well. He was a creative leader. That was a futurist, really a technologist. People don't realize that started a company that was beloved, but he had a vision of, um, a whole different way to live your life in communities. You know, when he was working on Disneyland, his real vision was to design communities of the future. In fact, the name Epcot at Walt Disney World stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. (laughs) It initially was not conceived as a theme park. What Walt Disney was actually trying to do before he died was to create a city of tomorrow, a community of the future. And it was going to, that's why he he incorporated this town in in Disney World, and that was not going to be a theme park primarily. It was going to be this future city, and it had you know underground tunnels like what Elon Musk is like putting out as a vision of the Boring Company, and it had a radial airport you know where the runway was on a giant circle to save space, and um, it was just he had the precursor to self driving cars. Um, they were called Wedway. People machines. The whole thing was a radial design, kind of like similar to the plan of Paris. Um, and Walt Disney, before he died, said, I don't think there's a greater challenge in the world than the challenge of today's cities. This is in 1966. I think that mm-hmm. could be said today now more than ever before. And so it's kind of a weird thing, but when sometimes I have friends visit me and service, I'll take them to Walt Disney Museum that's in the Presidio. And I sometimes, again, it's very personal to me, but I'll take them through the museum, through Walt's life and show them the principles of what Walt did, because it's kind of a way to understand some of what my passions are. And he's probably one of my idols.
0: Great. Great pick. And when I go to San Francisco next. It was a tough one because I I, I was like, oh, my
2: God, like what coffee shop would I take you to? What restaurant? But I feel like uh, there's something more meaningful than that. That was it.
0: The city is also a foodie's paradise with the ocean on your doorstep. A lot revolves around seafood. Chinatown in San Fran has some of the best Chinese restaurants in the US. And there's a great pop-up food scene too. Let's hear it from someone who knows about food. The legendary chef, Michelle Roux Jr. He tells us about his foodie experiences driving the length of California, as well as sharing two iconic recommendations for places to eat in San Francisco
7: one of the trips that i did also for me was a stepping stone was a was a learning curve food wise and that was a trip i did with my wife the whole west coast of um america it was extraordinary because again uh, seeing different styles of food from north to south because the, the food scene from north to south on that pacific highway is completely different totally different totally. um and then the wine region up north as well was was something else and San Francisco was such a city, it is such an amazing city to visit. And the food scene there is just like, whoa, it's it's incredible. Um, I mean, I remember going to, to Spargo's and, uh, for the first time and it's still there now and being blown away by the, the vastness of the place. It's huge. They, they, they cater for like three, four hundred people a day and the quality is up there. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't get my head around how they managed to produce that amount of food at such quality and at such speed. And then Chez Panisse as well. And, uh, you know, so all of those wonderful places that are iconic and have stood the test of time. But then also some weird and wonderful places, you know, Santa Barbara. And uh, yeah, it's just an extraordinary trip that um, food-wise, I will never forget either.
0: And we're not quite ready to finish the California road trip yet. There are two trips you have to bolt on to any journey from San Francisco. A wine odyssey to Napa and Sonoma and a hiking trip to Yosemite National Park. Let's start with the wine. Napa and Sonoma are two valleys about an hour north of San Francisco that are home to some of the best wine in the US and globally. Napa is quite touristy and expensive compared to Sonoma but they are both worth visiting and getting lost in for a few days. And so many new openings happening in that area as well right let's end this trip in the great outdoors nothing evokes that quite like Yosemite National Park it's a good three-hour drive from San Francisco so make sure that you spend a night or two there at least there are so many sections of the park to explore and it's best done on foot so bring your hiking boots my final guest today is a legendary singer Gregory Porter who so beautifully brings to life this wonderful spot
3: Yosemite, you know, was a place that we we first went. That was our that was my first major trip and I remember getting out and seeing the giant redwood trees, giant pines and it was just extraordinary.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Um to think that these trees which have grown hundreds of years and um just the great mountains, El Capitan, you know, this Giant, it it looks like a giant stone just placed upon its edge. Yeah. Coming from what then at the time was basically the hood, 36th and Normandy, the hood in LA, and going to Yosemite was just extraordinarily beautiful, extraordinarily uh, natural, awe inspiring, uh, heavenly. Because once you get into the trees and underneath the canopy of, of, of all the trees, it's surreal. It's mm-hmm. surreal. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine as, as a grown man, well, I've been there since I've, I was, I, I, I've been a grown man and it still makes me feel tiny, but as a child, my older brothers were already at, you know, at 13 and 14, they were already six, six foot four. And they seemed like giants. And I just remember feeling my brothers were giants, and they looked tiny in this forest. And then I was at their knees, so I, I, I was I was beyond small, you know.
0: Or yeah. inspiring destination. Yeah,
3: awe-inspiring destination, and uh, the nature. I think that may have been the first time I seen I'd seen wild animals, uh, deer. Just, you know, leaping across the road and, yeah. And the family thing that happens, being in the car. These these are the things that are precious to me now.
8: Hold up.
0: Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cosy retreat for fellow travellers, just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, It's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Well, that brings to an end an epic California road trip. As I said, leave at least two weeks to do it justice in my view. It will be worth it. Really, the trip of a lifetime. I've missed out so many other California wonders, Northern California, which has so much to offer, as is the south around San Diego. Oh, it's stunning down there. The redwoods and sequoia, so special. And the areas around Lake Tahoe too. But that was my california 101 road trip and if that wasn't enough for you we're now joined by chef nancy silverton california born and bred with a career spanning decades nancy has earned her place among the elite in the culinary realm you might have seen her recently on chef's tables pastry season she is a revered chef and restaurateur known for her dedication to fresh seasonal ingredients Her iconic Los Angeles eateries, including Osteria Mozza and Pizzeria Mozza, have become landmarks for food enthusiasts seeking exquisite Italian cuisine. Her culinary prowess has earned her numerous awards, including the prestigious James Beard Foundation's Outstanding Chef Accolade. She's a prolific author, sharing her expertise through cookbooks that inspire home cooks to elevate their culinary skills, and her legacy is sure to endure for generations to come. Today, she shares with us her Californian travel diaries, her all-time favorites and hidden gems as someone who knows the state so well. Chef Nancy Silverton, welcome to the Travel Diaries and to this California destination special. It's so great to be
8: chatting with you today. How are you? I'm great. You know, I'm just back from a trip to France, Uh, and so I'm feeling... Have you ever been to Marseille? I
0: haven't actually. No, oh, nearby, but
8: yeah, that's where you need to go eat. And
0: then returning back to your home in California, then you know what? What does it make you appreciate when you've been away? When you come back home?
8: Well, you know, I have to say, and if you don't mind me keeping uh, keep referring to Marseille, I think Marseille was probably one of the most diverse communities I've ever been in, and with the most, and reflected in their food. And what I think, as far as the uh, say American food scene, I think Los Angeles is as close as you get to that. Interesting, right? You know, and Los Angeles has always been that way. You know, mm. um, I don't know how much have you been to Los Angeles before? Yes, a few times. Because um, there was a period in my restaurant career, and I would say, probably, I think throughout the nineties that as far as a foodie uh, destination, and when I say foodie, I mean um, sort of my fellow chefs around the country that would um, sort of go to different cities to get inspiration. L.A., for some reason, was off the list. And it was off Mm -hmm. the list because L.A. didn't really compare to, say, the uh, more, not formal, but kind of that higher-end, spectrum, right? Mm. Um, But what Los Angeles always had was that sort of smaller immigrant restaurant. And all Mm. of a sudden, I've noticed in the last, say, certainly five years, but maybe a little bit more, those tables have turned. And I just see the amount of people coming to Los Angeles for inspiration, more so than anywhere else, more so than San Francisco, more so than New York, you know, so uh, that's noticeable to me, uh, which is great because that's the city I'm from. Yeah.
0: Well, and and maybe you could say the first person to put LA as a culinary destination on the map was Wolfgang Puck. I know that, yes. that you used to work together. He was a guest on my podcast a couple of seasons ago, one of my favorite episodes, actually. And he elevated the cuisine there didn't he he certainly did and you
8: know that's where i started
0: yeah that's why i mentioned okay so yeah, yeah. Oh,
8: okay yeah cuz i was the opening pastry chef there so yes when you know before wolfgang there was a handful of restaurants that were kind of celebrity restaurants you know los angeles being where it is right and we all mm. know what hollywood is all about it did have a handful of celebrity restaurants that i mean industry restaurants i'll call it that didn't that weren't anywhere else in the country? So they were restaurants such as Perino's and Chasins, and these were sort of restaurants where the Hollywood industry would would hang out. And then uh, things kind of, you know, sort of quieted down. And then with Wolfgang, yes, absolutely, he put Los Angeles back on the culinary map. But then after the splash of Spago um, and for various other uh, reasons in in Los Angeles, it kind of petered out. Yes, there was Spago, but there was nothing else. Nothing else brought people to L.A.
0: Interesting. And so now, what are some of the new restaurant openings that you're kind of referring to? What are the ones that are making you excited? Are there any particular spots that were my listeners to be heading to L.A. that they should definitely check out?
8: People are not as ambitious as they were, say, in the early 80s. I mean, in New York, for instance, huge restaurants were, were um, opened up with grand dining rooms. Now they're very small, very modest, and tiny kitchens, and mm. I love like. There's a restaurant now that's very popular in um, the San Fernando Valley, which is a uh, neighborhood in Los Angeles called Anajak Thai, for instance tiny, tiny restaurant. Um, very modest. Uh, second gener- I think it's a second generation, unless it's longer generation than second. But I know it was a young uh, chef that took over a family, uh, very traditional Thai little bistro and turned it into kind of a hipster joint, right? Mm-hmm. And it's super pop- popular. There's these small little... Um, Small little um multi-unit. Like uh, yes, thank you. A little plaza, right? Yeah. And that's another place that people are opening up kooky little places. And there was one that was called Cato in Los Angeles that opened up a few years ago, pre twenty twenty certainly. And it ended up being like the number one restaurant, I think, in LA. And it was shocked wow. people. This is according to the LA Times, by the way. And it shocked people because it was so modest and. Why would that be the best restaurant in LA? Now, since then, he's moved downtown, uh, which is a very thriving restaurant community now, um, our downtown Los Angeles, which was dead for so many years. And he sort of upped his game with the tasting menu, and it's a lot more expensive. Right, But that's a restaurant called Cato. There's a restaurant that's just come back that was sort of well received and then closed and now just reopened in again a little bit more of a upscale version but still not high-end called Baru which was one of the first restaurants that kind of embraced the art of fermentation and grains yeah. and things like that and that's and that's very popular right now.
0: I love these recommendations, you know, because of course there's a time and a place for fine dining and fancy food. But when you're traveling, often you just want to get a really great bite to eat that's yep. exciting, innovative, but not, necess- yep. you know, not necessarily white tablecloths. So these are really great recommendations because as you say, they're kind of more low key in their vibe.
8: Another thing that Los Angeles really was known for, it wasn't, this, it wasn't the birth of, but it became very popular. Is all the food trucks, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. so that's a big component to uh, to the way people eat, as well as and I think this came along in many cities um, uh, that that because I've heard many restaurants that got started this way that during the pandemic, sort of back backyard pop up places. That people started and were, you know, uh, serving food or offering food that people could either stop by outside or order online, and that get, that became restaurants. And so I'm reading about those all the time, and I can't keep track of where they are, but it always starts out with started it in the backyard in two, you know, 2020. <laughs> when as soon as you say 2020, we all know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And then it's developed, you know, and from there. They've got a bricks and mortar. So that's, those are popular restaurants that have opened. And like, again, I cannot keep track of.
0: It's encouraging of in a way that out of something that was so bad um, has come, you know, creative thinking and a new, you know, source of inspiration for, for food, really.
8: Yeah, and we always have to find that silver lining, right? And that yeah. that was the silver lining. But I think this this trend of modest restaurants that um, are opening probably worldwide is a great, a great trend.
0: And within the state, do you get out of
8: LA a lot? You know, where I go the most, so north of LA, is uh, it, which is sort of called the Central Valley, I guess, is a pocket that um, is, uh, is very, very interesting. And it's become popular in the last handful of years because the wines of that area have now become very popular for a while. It was Los Angeles. It was, you know, you have to go to Napa or Sonoma to drink Mm. the wines that people want to drink. And now people are kind of finding and discovering, um, this pocket in, in, in central California. And it's a beautiful, beautiful agricultural, Area as well. Actually, it's probably the largest agricultural area in the United States as far as it's growing, really? you know, really? especially with its nuts and its raisins. Huge farms. But I do um, uh, a lot of collaborative work with a little uh, resort in around that area in a town called Ojai. So I go a lot to Ojai, California, to the Ojai Valley Inn. And sometimes when I'm done there, I'll take little side trips and drive around some of these little towns like Solvang and Los Olivos, uh, beautiful, beautiful little, little towns with great up-and-coming uh, restaurants and farmer's markets and things, uh, and things like that. But the Very Central wholesome. Valley, I mean, that's the, all of California, I mean, of all of the country, I think that is the largest agricultural belt, mm. you know, anywhere. And it just goes on forever. Strawberries, artichokes, you oh. know, garlic, I mean, lettuces, on and on and on and on.
0: Mm, it's so beautiful there. And h- how long would it take you to get there if you were staying, say, if you're doing a holiday in LA and you wanted to do an excursion there?
8: Oh, well, you can go as far as you want. But from Los Angeles to Ojai is maybe only an hour and 15 minutes.
0: So it's really doable. You
8: know, an hour away in any direction will take you to the mountains and you can go skiing, let's say an hour and a half. But the desert, you can go to Palm Desert or Palm Springs, you know, or out um, out that way. You can go to Yosemite. I mean, it's, it's just um, like nowhere else. Big Sur, now I'm talking longer. I'm talking now I'm into four and five hours away. But still – The diversity of the landscape. Anywhere. Yeah. It isn't anywhere else.
0: It's so special in that way. And today, Chef Nancy, we are going to be uncovering your Californian travel diaries as someone who loves the state so much. (laughs) Uh, So now we're going to take a little format of chapters and we start with chapter one. And that is the first place that you fell in love with in California.
8: Okay, growing up, when you know, um, uh, families didn't travel the way that they travel now. But what my parents did like to do is they used to love to kind of pick out pockets around Los Angeles. So two places that I remember so clearly, my mother being so enthusiastic about, one was the Watts Towers. Mm-hmm. Um and that's in a very sort of um sort of difficult area in Los Angeles, uh, Watts community. Um there's a lot of housing projects and things like that, but in the center of that community were these beautiful towers, kind of Gaudiesque that really that um are stunning and there they are in a community that doesn't necessarily have a great rap, right? And so And so I went there several times with my mother because she was just always, she was just infatuated by those towers. And then another little place that I remember was Olvera Street, which was, I think, the first street in Los Angeles. Um, And I loved it because besides eating on that street where you could get, you know, the typical Mexican food as we know it, but there was all these shops that did um, crafts there, such as candle, you know, candle making and glass blowing. And I would always Mm -hmm. like to buy, you know, little teeny figurines and things like that. But walking um, on that street in Olvera Street was, um, you really didn't think you were in Los Angeles. So those as a childhood are two things that stand out immediately, Olvera Street and Watts Towers.
0: And is Olvera Street still the same feel now?
8: It really is. It really is. I mean, I don't go to it as an adult. Um, I find better Mexican food in different places, right? But at that time, there weren't ones that I knew of. I mean, they always existed, but I didn't know of them.
7: Mm.
0: And would you travel within the state, you know, to some of the other, like to the national parks and to some of those other areas?
8: No, my father was a huge uh, fan of Yosemite, and that was where we would take uh, trips camping. So mm-hmm. Yosemite National Park. And then the other place that we would go quite often, my father was an attorney and one of his clients had a hotel in Palm Springs. Now, pa- Palm Springs is a very developed area now, unrecognizable to the Palm Springs of my childhood, which was one block long, maybe two blocks on one street. Um, but I loved to go there because, you know, the, the weather was warm. There was a pool. And um, I, I always found that that the uh, terrain of a desert was just spectacular with those cactus. Yeah, with the big
0: San Jacinto mountains yeah. and yep. the towering palms. It's so striking and so yep. photogenic and, and yep. an inspiring landscape, isn't it?
8: Yep. And then we used to go to San Francisco a lot because my uh, my mother's sister lived there. So we used to go to Berkeley um is where she lived and it was always very intimidating to me you know that was the first time i remember hearing the word beatnik and then later on hippies but i was very uh, frightened <laughs> by <laughs> by that by that term but we used to go to berkeley a lot but these were again modifications where most families were the way that they traveled in those days Was it within the state? You know, people didn't. They. It wasn't like it is now. At least,
0: but I mean, so many of my guests' childhood travel memories are within the kind of greater local vicinity. And I mean, how lucky that, as we've been talking about already, that within your greater local vicinity, there's such an incredible diversity of
8: options that you could have a beach
0: holiday, or a mountain holiday, or a skiing holiday, or a desert holiday.
8: And, you know, now that I'm thinking even more, I was telling you that my two big memories were um, Olvera Street and Watts Tower. Another one was Capistrano, which I haven't thought about in years, which is down towards San Diego. Uh-huh. And uh, that was where the swallows would return at some point every year. And we went down a few times with my with my uh, family to see the swallows as they returned to um
0: Wow, that must have been beautiful.
8: To uh, to, um, Capistrano.
0: Love that. And how about then chapter two? Because this is the hard one, your all-time favorites. How you maximize the ultimate playground that is California. Normally, I just ask for an all-time favorite destination. But because we're kind of deep diving, I was thinking maybe you could tell me your favorite restaurant, if you would be so kind as to share your favorite hotel. And maybe like your favorite destination within the state.
8: Wow, that's really hard. In the state of California, my favorite restaurant, um, because it's really the way, not only the way that I like to eat, but it's also um, was sort of the restaurant that set me on my path, which I've never diverted from. And that would be Chepinis. I still think that it's an institution. It's been around more than forty years. I don't know what it's what anniversary it's going to be celebrating, but it's been around forever. But it still, through all those years, has stayed true to its beginnings. It's in Berkeley, and it was started by Alice Waters, who I still feel is the most influential. Uh, american cook for me and it is all the buzzwords that we all know today local seasonal not manipulated
0: whole foods with
8: care (laughs) healthy you know anything (laughs) you want me to say yeah all the words that we that we want to use and eat
0: is there a dish in particular that you think about there
8: You know, that one of the dishes that they put on the menu that's probably still on the menu was a simple mescaline salad, a a sort of a mix of tender leaves, uh, perfectly dressed, perfectly seasoned with a California goat's cheese Mm -hmm. that uh, was breaded and sort of fried on the side. Uh, The ultimate simple combination with wonderful temperatures and flavors and textures. How about yeah. that? Because the yeah. menu changes, you know, all the time. But that's something that's always been on the menu.
0: And how about a favorite hotel?
8: I've never really stayed, let's say, in a hotel in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and I tend to like more modest ones. I, I don't like big, flashy, you know, uh, I do. although I do love the Ojai Valley Inn. Mm. That's a wonderful resort. Let me say the Ojai Valley Inn because yeah. they're beautiful grounds. Beautiful. Uh and um, and it's, you know, for me, uh, a large hotel where I get into an elevator and I press the 27th floor is just not my idea of a hotel. These are small bungalows on a beautifully kept resort uh, with gorgeous weather, beautiful mountains aside, and then walking distance to a very sweet town, which is Ojai. So how about if I say my favorite hotel in California is the Ojai Valley Inn.
0: That's a really good pick, and I think that if you're a fan of that kind of hotel, California actually really caters to that. There are lots mm-hmm. of m- more boutique, you could say, properties. Yeah. Um, certainly in Palm Springs, lots. You know, they're oh, all yeah. very. they a lot of them are very small in, in vibe. And then it, it when you are describing the Ojai Valley Inn, I've not, I've not stayed there, but it made well, me you think need to. I would, I would love to. Um, but it made me think of San Isidro Ranch. Um, yes,
8: that's another great place. And, yeah. and, you know, that's the sort of uh, Santa Barbara area, which yes. is right near Ojai. And there's yeah. lovely ones there as well. And San Isidro Ranch is one of them. Uh-huh. Mm,
0: that kind of luxe but low key
8: combination. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not cheap, right? Mm. But you feel like it is kind of rustic and. You feel comfortable there,
0: yeah. You know, sometimes when I go in these super
8: elegant places, I just feel so out of place.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know why you would feel that way. <laughs> I mean, but but having said that, you know what your restaurant embodies is a vibe that is you know excellent unbelievable food but it's it's not stuffy you have a welcoming no. culture and that's yeah. what you're about yeah and and away from the food scene in california how do you how do you like to have fun and how
8: do you like to unwind you know um i think that because of my travel schedule now i would say to have fun is going back to my restaurants and you know really? reconnecting and yeah,
0: yeah. um you that's know, so nice. Of,
8: yeah, and you know because that's not work for me. You know, when I travel to my home in Italy, for instance, and I do a lot of cooking when I'm there, and people always are surprised. Why are you cooking so much? Don't you want to relax? You're on vacation, and that's my vacation is actually being being able to cook, and mm-hmm. that's my way of unwinding. Here is kind of reconnecting because it's not only important for myself, and it's important for our customers, but certainly important to the staff because. So many of them there are there uh, to work with me, right? They're not at a a faceless, nameless restaurant. And so I need to be there to supplement that.
0: Yeah, and guide them. Yes. So chapter three, uh, Chef Nancy, is um, your Californian hidden gem.
8: If I had to say a hidden gem, uh uh-oh, every time I think of one, I'll think of another. I mean, one of the places I used to love to go to um so much was going to the ferry building at the San Francisco in San Francisco, the embarcadero. And I loved the ferry plaza because there were so many great restaurants there. And I used to love a restaurant called Bouvette. Mm-hmm. Um and and they did a fantastic job, two women. Um I love that little restaurant. I love the coffee at blue bottle. Um I love the little stores in there. Sometimes it's great to have everything up under one roof. And that was one of my definite destinations when I would go to uh, to San Francisco is that Embarcadero, the fl- the Ferry Plaza. And I love the farmer's market there. The farmer's market in, in San Francisco is a fantastic farmer's market.
0: Great tips. I love those. Uh, and finally, then chapter four, that is The destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list in California. I
8: I think that the restaurant that I would really like to try is at the Boonville Hotel. It was in in Mendocino County. So that's north of Napa by uh, uh, several, several miles. Um, And there's no work that takes me up there. See, I travel so much for work doing dinners in various restaurants that I get to see so much and that's where I go but nothing has, my travels in California have never, have not brought me that far north for uh, a number of years. And I've heard such great things about that restaurant. So let me put that on my bucket list, the Boonville Hotel. Wonderful.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Chef Nancy Silverton. Those were your Californian travel diaries. Thank you for making us feel so inspired. A huge thank you to Chef Nancy for joining me on the podcast and bringing to life her California favorites. I hope that this episode has inspired you to visit the Golden State and take in all it has to offer. If you want to find out more about California, always support your favorite travel magazines in print and online and head to the Tourist Board website, visit california.com for loads more information. I'll be back on Friday with a bonus episode all about Greater Palm Springs. In the meantime, take care everyone and safe travels. all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travelers, just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom, and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries.
2: Small details are big
6: surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves